0: Well, good morning. It's so great to see everyone in the place. Make some noise for Jesus if you're glad to be here today. Come on. I think y'all should feel refreshed. You got an extra hour of sleep. Feeling good. Now, some of you usually come to the 1 o'clock service, but you're just here because you forgot to set your your clock back. But anyway, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Can we give a shout out to the Braves? The Braves World Series champs. So glad about all of that. You know, I know even last week, some of us were up watching late at night and was like, I'm going to stream today. But welcome back. Welcome back. Listen, we're so glad to be in our third week of this series called Running in Circles. Running in Circles. And as we've been talking about this, Pastor Johnson, he set us off in week one with an incredible word where he really talked about this story about the woman at the well the woman at the well. And in this story about the woman at the well, what he was talking about was that many times as we see the woman at the well, we look for artificial things to take the place of only what God can satisfy. And at that place, what we saw with the woman at the well is that she was looking to men. She was looking to relationships to feel what only God could provide. And in one of the statements that he made, he said, as we are looking to stop running in circles, as we're looking to really dig in or what we say lean in to what God is doing, many times we have to give up certain things to actually receive what God has for us. But here's what he said that was good news. He said, Jesus will never take anything from you without offering you something better. Jesus will never take anything from you without offering you something better. But the good news is that it's not just a thing that he's offering. He offers himself. He offers himself. And what I was glad about is even last week as we continued in our series, my beautiful, intelligent, anointed, wonderful wife, she gave an incredible word last week. Come on, give it up for her. If you have not heard that message, I want you to go back and listen to it, watch it. It was an incredible word because she really talked about how a lot of times what we do is that we put certain things in place of God. Where we should actually be leaning into God, we lean into other people. And she made this statement. She made this statement. She said, anything, including ourselves, that we look to meet our needs other than God is an idol. Anything other than God, including ourselves, our self-perseverance, our uh, self-indulgence. It is an idol when it actually takes the place of God. She talked about the fact that those things can be what we call a thirst trap, where you set yourself up to actually still be thirsty, even though you're thinking you're trying to fulfill that thirst. And today, what I want to do is I'm actually going to kind of launch off from where she ended. But one of the things that's important is as we realize what we're talking about with this well is that many times, if we're honest, we can be around. We can be going around in circles. We can be around the things that should satisfy our thirst, but we never stop to draw and actually drink from that well. And today, I believe that if we can open our eyes and if we can be honest with ourselves, there are some things that we need to change. There are some adjustments that we need to make. And so today, as I launch off from that statement she made, she stopped ended her message by asking us the question—a very interrogative question. She said, "Do you want to be healed?" Anybody can say they want something, but what it takes to get to that thing is the difference maker. And so, as we get started today again, this account in John five, where we see the man at the pool who was there for thirty-eight years, he was paralyzed for thirty-eight years. We ask the question do you want to be healed? Just like Jesus asked him that question. And so as we dig into this story, the Bible calls this man an invalid, an invalid. And let me make it very clear, what an invalid is, is a person made weak or disabled by illness, injury, or they're an infirm. And if you want to follow along with us on YouVersion, you can see the notes there because there are some important things right there. But again, an invalid is a person made weak or disabled by illness or injury called an infirm. What is an infirm? An infirm is someone who is weak of mind, weak of will, weak of character, irresolute, and someone who is constantly vacillating. What does that mean, vacillating? That you're always going back and forth, back and forth and forth. Rock with me. Back and forth. Back and forth. See, that might feel good, but that's not how we should live. Because the Bible says an unstable man, an unstable woman is is, is actually unstable in all their ways. A person who goes back and forth, goes back and forth, is unstable in all their ways. And we don't want to be unstable, right? So as we look at this, here it is. As we look at this story and we try to say, okay, how does this actually relate to me? What we have to realize is that, yes, you may have not been born paralyzed in your body, but you might be paralyzed in your mind. You might be paralyzed in your choices. You might be paralyzed because you keep going back to the things that will never give you that gratitude, that will never sustain you, that will never feel your actual thirst. And when we think about this, if we really take inventory of our lives, we have to ask our questions, do we really want to be healed? Ask yourself the question, do I want to be healed? Come on, say it again. Say, do I want to be healed? So just to let you know, this won't be a three-point message. This won't be, well, three things to get your thirst quenched. There's actually one major point that I have today, and that point is actually a question, and it's the question, do you really want to be healed? As we look at this, ask yourself the question, what is the area or the areas where I've compromised that are keeping me from having my thirst quenched by the living God? What are the areas that I'm walking in that I'm actually entertaining that keep me from walking in the fullness of what God has for me? If we're honest, one of the reasons why a lot of us, myself included at times, we run in circles is because we know the right thing to do. But sometimes we don't go through the pain to get to what we need to do. We know the right thing to do, but sometimes giving up that thing that really is near and dear to our heart because we've gotten used to it, it's comfortable, it makes us feel good, it's hard to give up. Do I have any witnesses in the room? Can I have an honest church in the house today? So I want to take another step today. I just want to take one step because I told you it's not going to be a three-point message, but we're going to step into some things and Here it is. The reason why we need to deal with what I'm talking about today. And if you haven't guessed, I'm talking about compromise today. I'm talking about compromise. And the reason why I want to talk about it is because it would be a shame for us to give you this nice story about the woman at the well, to give you this nice story about how Jesus loves you, to give you this nice story about, yes, you know, do you want to be healed? And we don't deal with the elephant in the room. We don't deal with ourselves. We don't deal with the fact that many times we choose to step into things that God has told us to stay away from. And so as we're looking at this, if we're not careful, you can go through this whole series and say, oh, man, that was good. You know, that was some good advice. Let me tell you something. What we're looking to do today is not give you good advice because the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Come on, somebody say it. The gospel, it's not just good advice, something that you can choose and pick and, you know, kind of play patty cake with. It is good news that we need to walk in. And the reason we call it good news is this. Because the good news, the Bible, it gives us boundary lines. It gives us structure. It gives us instruction of how we're to live. And if we don't take heed and if we don't take that instruction, we'll find ourselves in a ditch. We'll find ourselves dead when God never called us to walk into certain things. He wants to give us life and life more abundantly. So here it is. I want to show you something. In Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, in Jude verses 23, 22 and 23, it says this, and it's going to really paint the picture of what I'm talking about today. Jude 1, 22, 23, it says, keep being compassionate to those who still have doubts. And snatch others out of the fire to save them. Be merciful over and over to them, but always couple your mercy with the fear of God. Be extremely careful to keep yourselves free from the pollutions of the flesh. What this scripture is saying is that there is a time for gentleness. There is a time for me to say, friends, Let's turn to our Bibles and read this nice scripture. But there are other times where I have to say, listen, we need to stop playing games. There are times when we can't play around because someone's life is dependent on them walking in the ways of the Lord. There are times that we have to be gentle because there are people who don't necessarily know the Lord. There are people who would not even listen to you if you come off talking about their sins first. They need to know you love them first. But as the Bible says right here, it says, but others, you have to snatch from the fire. Somebody say snatch. I want to let you know there are times and places where you can't play around with the devil. There are times and places where you have to be snatched. I don't know about you, but I had to be snatched from the pit of hell. I had to be snatched from my behaviors. I had to be snatched from going my own way. What am I talking about? See, I remember when I was about 10 years old. I was about 10 years old. I was probably about 3 foot 5, maybe 4 feet. I was a late bloomer. Any late bloomers in the house? I was a late bloomer. About 10 years old, I remember my parents, they used to take us to these trips. They used to take us to hotels, and they would have these indoor pools. And my brothers and I, none of us knew how to swim. None of us knew how to swim. And so what we would do, being the person that I am, I'm going to always try to make a game out of something. I'm going to always try to get the best out of a situation. So what we would do, my brothers and I, we would go to these pools, and we would stay around the rim of the pool, and we would just stand on the edge and go, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs. What we were doing is like, you know, I know I can't swim, but I'm going to make this image of this experience better than what it is. And I'm going to enjoy myself. So we will find ourselves for an hour going around the pool. Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs. Because if I, if I put my foot down, I'm going to drown. But here's what happened. One day, I was at the community pool. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was at a community pool. And I remember it was a beautiful day. Everyone was out there swimming. They were having a good time. Some people were doing the backstroke, the breaststroke, all types of strokes that I didn't know how to do. And what I saw there, if you've ever been to any kind of pool, the lines of delineation, the boundary lines are clearly marked out. You see the three foot, and then it goes to the five foot, and most of them stop right there. This particular community pool, I saw the three foot, I knew that I could play my Navy Seals game all over the side of that pool. But what happened is that again, being the person that I am, I like to try the boundaries. And so what I did is I, I was on the side of the pool, I was moving around, and my feet were on the ground, and I was kind of touching over here, I was like, I'm still good, I'm still good, I'm still good, until I wasn't. And I remember actually putting my foot on the area where it felt like it dropped into an abyss, it was only two feet, but it felt like it dropped into an abyss, and I remember literally saying to myself, God, I guess this is it. I, was like, I, I put myself here. I did this. I literally remember saying, I'm, I'm coming to heaven, God. I'm coming to heaven. And I can remember as I was going down, it was almost like a blur. I vividly see this in my mind. I remember seeing what looked like an angel. <laughs> I saw this blur kind of jump into the pool, and then before I knew it, I was put, put, pulled up, and I was put on dry land. This person snatched me from the jaws of death. And when they snatched me from the jaws of death, I was able to get my breath. I was able to say I can live again. I was able to walk in something that allows me to even be speaking to you here today. And that person, he wasn't an angel. Maybe it was an angel sent from God, but he was a lifeguard. (laughs) And what I'm here to tell you today is I'm here to be your spiritual lifeguard. I'm here to be your spiritual lifeguard because some of y'all are playing with the boundaries. Some of y'all are on the edge of the pool. No, you shouldn't go any further, but you're dabbling. You're putting one foot in, putting one foot out. You're playing games. You're, you're putting yourself to the test, and you're putting God to test because he's clearly marked out some things that you're not supposed to walk in. When you get that text, you up, you know you shouldn't go. But you say, I'm just going to go for 30 minutes and see what they're talking about. We're gonna stay outside and talk. And before you know it, I keep on falling. See, if we're honest, some of us in the room today are playing on the boundary. And before we know it, our head will be underwater. We'll be to a point that we think we can sustain. We think we'll be to a point where we think we can hold on. But before we know it, we won't be able to call for help anymore because the results will already be in. And I'm here to let you know, I know in the contemporary church, we like to give you good news and talk about these good messages and tickle your ears and make sure you come back. But sometimes you need to be snatched. And I'm here not to play with you. I'm here to pastor you today. I'm here to let you know that, yes, the woman at the well, the story is real. Yes, the man at the pool, God had to be compassionate. But right now, I need to let you know that I love you enough to snatch you. I love you enough to speak the true gospel, uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ that says we cannot entertain sin. See, for some of you, when I just said sin, you are like, I'm out. Because we don't talk about it, but we need to deal with it because, again, it will save our lives. Watch this. I knew when I was actually playing around on that boundary that I could not swim. And in that moment when the lifeguard came and saved me, I didn't need him trying to be nice to me saying, how would you like for me to come pick you up out of that water? What is your preference of how I can actually pull you out? I didn't need him being nice. I didn't need him trying to say, can I pull your arm back? I said, snatch me out. I need you right now. So if we're honest, some of us, we know we've been going in a cycle. We've been going in a cycle. We've been going in a cycle. And God is saying, will you actually admit that you need saving right now? As we look at this, I want you to understand something because I'll just speak for myself There have been times when the Lord has delivered me from something. There's been times when he set me free from something. But there's also been times where I've chosen to go back to that thing. And as we look at this, I want to read a scripture that I've never seen before in this light before this week that I believe shows us how we need to posture our hearts and posture ourselves. Turn to John chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. As you're turning, what you'll see is that this John 5, this is the same chapter in the story where this man that was paralyzed for 38 years was actually brought back on the scene. This man who, who I'm sure suffered, who begged and who said, God, if you deliver me from this, I will serve you forever, is found in this story. And in the 13th verse, it says this, the man who was healed had no idea it wo- who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Let me give you a commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. Just because you kind of go off on your own, just because you say yes to God one time, just because you think nobody else sees you, Jesus, he still is right there. He still sees you. He still knows all. It goes on to say, later Jesus found him at the temple and said, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. I need to let that sit there right quick. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I believe in the spirit right now. God is speaking to someone in the room and even worshiping online that he's giving you a warning right now and saying stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. The man went away. And told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. See, as I read this scripture, I told you I never saw this this way before. But as I was reading it, I kind of like to make Jesus contemporary in my mind so I can kind of really say, okay, what would that look like? I kind of feel like this was like Jesus showing up at at Starbucks or Octane or or one of the coffee shops here in Midtown. And he sees this guy. He's kind of sitting in the cut. And he sees this guy doing whatever he's doing because the Bible doesn't specify the sin. But he's doing something that's outside of the will. I kind of imagine Jesus saying, bruh, for real, we, we doing this? Like, I saved you from that. I delivered you from that. You said you would never do it again. But you, we, we, we doing this. We playing that game. Stop sinning or something else is going to happen to you. But what I love is that it looks like Jesus lovingly confronted this man and said, stop sinning. Go and make sure you sin no more. Because there will be bigger consequences. I'm here to tell you, if you don't stop, there are going to be bigger consequences. When you're talking about, are we just going to kiss today? There will be different consequences if you don't go away from that road. Watch this. So that we're very clear. So that we bring this in a room because I understand, again, we don't talk about this a lot. So I want to be very clear on our definition of sin. Is that all right? Sin is human activity that is contrary to God's will. Sin is an act or feeling that transgresses something forbidden or ignores something required by God's law or character. Watch this whether in thought, feeling, speech, or action. See, I read that for the religious people in the room who said, All my sins were back then. You know, I read my Bible every day. I'm I'm, I'm praying every day. I'm in a small group. I'm not tempted by that thing anymore. If you thought it and it was outside of the will of God, that's still a sin. Those individuals that you see and you know you're tearing them down in your head but you're smiling in their face, that's sin. Because God wants us to be transparent. He wants us to really be able to walk this thing out. Listen to this. As we look at this, we know we live in a world right now who moves the measuring line of sin. In this modern day contemporary church that we live in, certain things that used to be seen as sin, sometimes we don't call sin, sin. And I'm here to let you know God loves you enough to call sin, sin. He loves you enough not to leave you to your own devices so that you can try to rationalize and figure it out and call sin what it is. The Bible says in James chapter four, verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. Because here there are times where God interrupts us and he knows we're going down a road. He knows we're playing with fire, but he will give us grace. But let me say something about grace, because sometimes we misconstrue this as well. Grace is not only where you just get forgiven after you did something, where you just say, okay, God's going to forgive me seven times seven. He's going to forgive me all these times. Grace is also the empowerment not to sin. Grace is also when we choose to partner with God and say, I don't want to do that anymore. I am choosing to repent, to turn, to take an about face and say, I don't want that anymore because there are results that come with that. I know it's tight, but it's right. Because I love you too much to go down this road to just give you this fluffy gospel and let you go to hell. So as we look at this, here it is. We know that even some of us, the niceties of God, the grace of God, the, the gentleness of God, for some of us, we just, we just stop doing the things that we're doing. But for others of us, we need it to be snatched. For others of us, we just need to not even have a choice. I was at uh, the Momentum Conference at one of our host sites yesterday, and Daryl, one of our security guys, he actually works in, a, in the Atlanta Police Department. And he said one of the greatest things that can happen sometimes to a person who is losing it all, who is throwing their life away, is for them to get arrested. He gave a testimony about how this gentleman who was uh, strung out on meth, had he really gave his testimony and said, hey, a police officer saved my life. He saved my life by arresting me because when he arrested me, I was able to get the help I need. God is speaking right now. God is saying, I'm going to arrest you in your sin because if I don't arrest you in your sin, you're going to continue to go down a pattern and you're going to drown. God does not want you to drown. He's such a gracious father that he loves us too much to let us just go. But we have to make a choice. Somebody say make a choice. Watch this. Everything that Jesus did along his journey, every encounter that he had with different people was the most loving thing that he could have done for them in that moment. What do I mean by that? Even when Jesus was flipping over tables, that was the most loving thing that he could have done in that moment, because that's what it took to get their attention. With the woman at the well, Jesus was loving, but he dealt with her idolatry of men. But what he did is he showed her love first. He showed her compassion first, because how many people know you can have the right gospel in your mouth, but the wrong approach? And what God wants us to know is that, yes, I want to approach you well, but sometimes you're just hard-headed. Y'all remember that old word from back in the day? You're just hard-headed. Some of us are hard-headed. And my grandmother used to say, a hard head makes a soft behind. <laughs> so every now and again, we just have to be woofed into the perfection of God. Amen. As he was compassionate with the woman of well, he was also compassionate with the rich young ruler. He gave him a choice. He said, hey, you need to go sell all you have. But with him, he decided not to go with God because he couldn't give up that thing that was a well to him instead of going to God. With Zacchaeus, he dealt with his even idolatry of maybe having a title, of being a taxpayer, of being an influencer, having a blue check. But what Zacchaeus did, he responded with love and draw near to God. And even the woman in adultery, The woman caught in adultery, God still had grace on her. He said, first, Jesus said, go because I don't condemn you. But he didn't just leave it there. He said, and sin no more. God wants to give you instruction, but he also wants to make sure that he gives you grace. And one of the reasons why, again, we had to talk about this. It's because, you know, we live in a society where most of us, especially people in this room, we've grown up getting trophies for 15th place. We've grown up where you, everything is good. You know, you're just great, even though you're not. Nobody will really tell you you cannot sing. Don't try out. No one will tell you you cannot throw a baseball. Don't come out here. And see, some of us would say that's mean, but I say that's love. Don't have me out here looking a fool. Don't have me just doing something over and over and over again. My wife, she's a professor by trade. There are times when I make up words. There are times when I make up words. She says, Mo, that's not a word. Don't say that at the next service. Yes, ma'am. Because she loves me. Come on. Because she loves me, she's not going to allow me just to walk off a cliff and continue to put myself out there in something that is not right. It's the same thing that God is doing to us when he says, stop sinning or else something else worse will happen. See, there's this theme, there's this thought that a lot of people ascribe to, especially in the last probably two decades. And it's this thing called moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And you might be operating in this unknowingly, so I want you to hear this. This is when we actually take up the posture of our central goal in life being that we need to be happy and we need to feel good about ourselves. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Nobody actually offend me. Nobody say anything that pushes me. Nobody say anything that challenges me. Because if you say something that challenges me, you're against me. You're the devil. You're a bigot. You are someone who hates me. It's the thought that God does not need to be particularly involved in your life. Until you need him. You can do everything you want to do. You can operate how you want to operate. You can wow out. But when you need Jesus, you're calling on his name like he was always right there with you, even in your sin. Yes, even if you make your bed in hell, he is there. But he's saying, don't even go to the bed. I have something better for you. It's this thought that all good people will go to heaven. Can I talk about it? You can be a good person, but if you have not confessed the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to heaven. I'm sorry. Again, call that me. I call that loving. I call it loving because I don't want to mislead you. I call that loving because I want you to be able to grab and actually drink from the water that will never leave you dry. I call that loving because I want to make sure that we don't have a form of godliness coming to church week in and week out, but we are actually walking in shambles and operating in destructive patterns. So as we look at this, this is the thing that people say, well, this is my truth. You know, I don't know what you're talking about, but this is my truth. Let me give you an announcement. There is no such thing as your truth. There is one truth. The truth will make you free, will set you free. And so as we look at this, here it is. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says this. This is for all of us to hear and to understand. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. See, what we're talking about in this whole series and what we've been doing is that we want to make sure that we put you in a position to not walk in strongholds and stay in those things. Because when we do this, when we operate outside of the will of God, what we're doing is we're fortifying these strongholds. Kendra said last week that strongholds are prisons and they're walls. And when we don't receive this gospel, when we don't walk in instruction, we're fortifying these walls. We're keeping ourselves held back. She said this last week. She said, a stronghold is an unwanted, repeated pattern of destruction, thinking, or behavior. Strongholds create walls and barriers that block us from walking in our purpose in God. See, strongholds, even by its name, strongholds hold you back from walking in the destiny. Strongholds hold you back from when you know you should be walking in purpose. It holds you back from walking in purpose. And so as we look at this, here it is. One of the things and one of the ways that strongholds are built is by us dabbling and entering into sin. One of the ways that strongholds are built, this word with a C, is compromise. Because when we compromise, we will call evil good and good evil. We will say, well, at least it's not that bad. At least it's not, I'm not doing that. But watch this write this statement down. Compromise is the door. That opens you up to a stronghold. Have you ever been in a situation where you say, how did I get here? How how did I end up here? I said I would never do that. How did I end up in this situation with that person? I said when I was in the relationship after the breakup, but I would never go back with a person that treated me like this. But I'm right back where I started. I love this quote by Greg Laurie. He says this. If you look at the times in your life when you have fallen into sin, you could probably trace it back to a series of missteps and small compromises you made that led to big compromises. That led to your fall. If you're honest, if you think about it. I could assure you that no kindergarten kindergarten person, when they're in school, when people ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? They don't raise their hand and say, I want to be a liar. I want to be a thief. I want to be an embezzler. That's not what happens most of the time. But what happens is that little by little, little by little, I started just kind of changing the numbers on my taxes I started just kind of claiming my niece, knowing she doesn't stay with me. Y'all said, stop meddling, Pastor. <laughs> I kind of changed these numbers over here, but before you know it, you're in jail for fraud. I'm helping somebody today. Somebody needs to turn today. Watch this. The journey from I never to I did is made up of small steps, each one a compromise. The psalmist Deborah Cox, she would say, how did I get here? I said I wouldn't get here. I said the last time was the last time. Some of y'all wanna go with me right now. What am I saying? Okay, I hear you back there. (laughs) Many of us, the compromise is light because we say, all right, it's not that bad. It's not that good. I said I would never get here again, but I keep playing with the boundary. I keep playing with the boundary. I keep messing around and actually saying that I'm stronger than I am, knowing that I'm really not that strong. I keep putting myself into the environment of temptation, knowing that I fall every time with that. We fool ourselves into thinking that we have more strength than we really do because we were never created to be put in those type of situations. Watch this. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, it says this. Don't you realize that you have become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Let me say it like this. A stronghold is when our mindset is impregnated with the hopelessness which causes us to accept as unchangeable the situations in which we know are contrary to the will of God. The stuff we know that's contrary to the will of God. Because when we make room for the devil, again, we're setting ourselves up for failure. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, it gives us very clear instruction, is John 10.10. You may have heard it before, but I want you to hear it with spiritual ears right now. The Bible says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I need you to circle only. Circle only, highlight only, screenshot only, because believe it or not, you can think the devil has other plans. His only plan is to kill you. His only plan is to steal from you. His only plan and desire is to destroy your life. Stop playing with the devil. I love the New Living Translation because it says it like this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I told you I was on assignment today because, again, we love you too much to just go through the motions and say, okay, we're worried that if you get, you know, pulled up into a new standard that maybe you won't like these things. Maybe you don't want to hear these things. But I'm going to tell you, we love you that much that we have to call a spade a spade. We have to call sin a sin. And the reason why we can't play with the devil is because of this. Watch this. I'm going to read this to you, but I need you to hear it. It's in your notes on you version. The enemy wants to blind our minds, steal your identity, kill our authority in Christ so that we deny and destroy our destiny and our purpose. Let me say that one more time. The enemy wants to blind our minds, steal your identity, kill your authority in Christ so that we deny and destroy our destiny and our purpose. What do I mean? To blind your minds means he doesn't want you to think from a heavenly mindset. To steal your identity says, though you have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, he wants you to act like someone who has not been redeemed. He wants to kill your authority in Christ, saying that you will operate as if you're subject to circumstances instead of knowing that circumstances are subject to you. And He wants us to deny and destroy our destiny and purpose, meaning that he wants to set a trap for you, a thirst trap. Where you will never reach your potential in God because you will forfeit your gifts and your calling in him and your position in him. I want to say this to you, and we've been saying it all year, that you were made for something great. That's not just a nice slogan. That's not just a nice thing that we're saying. We're saying you were made for something great. And I declare that we will not let the world of compromise take us outside of the greatness that God called us to walk in. As a matter of fact, I need you to lift your hands right now in the room and those worshiping online. Because there's a grace in the room. There's a grace today. Somebody stumbled in this place. Somebody came in this place not necessarily thinking they were going to hear this word today, but it's the word that you needed because God is saying, stop. I have plans for you. I have destiny for you. I have grace for you. But if you forfeit my grace, something worse is going to happen to you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare over every person in the sound of my voice that with these hands lifted, what we're saying, Lord, is we surrender. We're saying we want to stop the presses. We want to stop the destructive behavior that we've walked in. And we want to drink from your well instead of going to artificial wells that will only take us down. Father, I declare that we will not be a people who just go and drink from wells that simply pacify us but we will go to the well that will satisfy us. Father, your grace is sufficient for your people. And Father, we declare right now in the name of Jesus that we will stop sinning. No matter how big or how small we think those sins are, we will stop sinning because you have extended grace to us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. So I want to end this message with how Jesus came on the scene and started his ministry. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Earlier today, Pastor Jamal, he said, when you repent, it means you're stopping, you're taking an about face, and you are turning towards his plan, towards his purpose. Somebody in here needs to stop, take an about face, and turn to God and say, I'm going with your plan. We need to stop. Take an about face and say, Lord, I receive your grace, and now I'm going to partner with you to make sure that I can't do it on my own, but with you, I can overcome this sin. And as we look at this and we turn, this is the word of the Lord for you that I want to just read over you right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, it says this. This is Paul And he's talking to a people that he wants them to know how much he loves them. And this is even my letter to you to let you know how much I love you, how much your pastors love you to make sure that we don't just walk in sin. He says this, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, I I, I didn't know if I really wanted to enter into this conversation. For I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. I said it again. I, we love you too much. To let you just go by the wayside. I will not be haunted by seeing your eyes when I sleep because I didn't say stop. Turn away from your wicked ways. And what we realize is that many times what we do is we set ourselves up for a long, longer journey than God even ever declared for us. When we look back at the children of Israel. Their journey from Egypt to the promised land was really only supposed to be about 11 days. But they spent 40 years in the wilderness. They were running in circles. They were running in circles. They were going in circles. And God had a plan for them. He's saying, just follow me. That's the word of the Lord to you today. Don't run in circles. Follow him. And so what I want to do to seal even this moment and what we've heard and the decisions that we're making to do this is that we're going to partake in communion together today. Because communion, what it is, it's a representative where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we remember, if you need a communion element, just raise your hand. When we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, what it does, it puts us back into order according to how he set us up. And as we get ready to take communion, as some of you are still getting yours, let me read 1 Corinthians 11, because this is going to really show us what we're doing. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, it says this. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to, watch this, examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak, sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. One of the reasons why some of us operate in sickness and we operate in things that are feeble in our lives is because we have not discerned the Lord's body. We have not examined ourselves to say, Lord, I need you more than I can do for myself. So just for a moment, I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and just take a moment to examine yourself. As you're examining yourself, ask this question, what would my life look like if I was truly free? What would my life look like and what would I be able to do if I was truly free? and was not bound by a stronghold right there in your seats just go ahead and open up the elements we take of what might look like a wafer, but it's really representative of the body of Christ. And what we say when we take this, we say, this is the body of Christ. Jesus, he gave a sacrifice. He allowed his body to be beaten and broken so that we could operate in wholeness in our bodies. And so right now, what we believe here at Victory is that we pray for healing knowing that it's already done. We pray for healing because it is a benefit of being in the kingdom. And so right now, if you have something, you've gotten a diagnosis over your body, the doctors have told you facts, but you know the truth. And you've come in here today and you say, Lord, I need healing. I want you just to lift this up right now and start to speak into the atmosphere, start to speak to God and say, God, I believe I'm healed of that. I believe I'm healed. I'm whole of that. And as you lift your hands, I declare right now in the name of Jesus that we are healed and we are whole. Father, I pray right now that we don't have to beg for healing, but we declare from a place of victory that we are already healed. I thank you for every person who is even coming to this place, even feeling hopeless about their place of healing. Father, I declare that hope has now rushed in. We take now, we break the bread, and we eat it together, and we say we are healed. This juice, this this grape juice, whatever you want to call it, it represents the blood of Jesus. And it represents the blood of Jesus and it represents the sacrifice that he made on the cross for us. That by shedding his blood, our sins are forgiven. He went through agony to make sure that when he says, stop it, sin no more, that you can operate in the full forgiveness of him who has made you free. And right now, some of you in this room, you may have never given your life to Jesus But today is your day of salvation. And I want you to take a moment all over the room. If we could one more time, just let's bow our heads for a moment. If you're in here and you need to give your life to Jesus and you want to confess him as Lord, I need you to repeat after me. But I want the whole victory body to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the pain you went through for me. I thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And right now, I accept you as my Lord. And I accept you as my Savior. And I declare from this day on, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I will live for you. Thank you, Jesus. I am saved. I repent, which means I turn away from my old ways. And I turn towards your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's take now and drink together. You'll be able to drop those on your way out, but for this next moment, this is the way we want to close today. Pastor Jamal said it earlier, is that sometimes we run from God, but God wants us to run towards him. Not knowing that when we even make a decision and say, I'm coming to him, he's already running to us. And so for this next few moments, we want to take a moment to seal what we've talked about today, what we've encountered today. And for some of us, You need to make a decision by moving, by coming to the altar where you lay down those things that you have done and where you lay down your old sin nature and say, God, I'm running back to you. And watch this. Some of you are like, if I move, they're going to know something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with all of us. So no matter how big or small you feel your sin is. When we've prayed over this altar over and over again, I declare that I will see and that we will see people trade off physical vices, things that have held them back, drugs, alcohol, things that have held them back. I declare that even today some people will make a physical transaction and no one's going to judge you. We're going to pray for you. So for the next few moments, however you want to posture yourself, if you want to come to the altar. If you want to stand, if you want to sit in your seat, if you want to lift your hands, we're going to enter back into that song and we're going to say, Lord, you know my condition, but I'm running back to you. Let's worship.